682 of the Ask the Coach show where ping skills helps you improve your table tennis. The Alfa Romeo 182 is a Formula One car that made its debut at the 1982 Brazilian Grand Prix. Today, we're going to talk about the Women's World Cup, watching the ball, one of Alois's favourite topics, and whether short pushing is important. I'm Jeff Plum, and as always, Supercoach Alois Rosario is here with me to answer your questions. Welcome, Alois. Thank you, Jeffrey. And uh, yes, uh, back again. So uh, had a little bit of a break, Jeffrey. Yes, yes, it has been a little bit of a break. Um, what have you been up to, Alois? Oh, I was uh, lucky enough to get to Belgium. So I went over for the uh, Belgium Para Open event um, in a little town called St. Nicholas, beautiful town. Beautiful little town in autumn, and uh, yes, yeah, uh, got to meet a, quite a few ping skillers over there too, which was a bit of a bonus. Wow, it sounds like a, a great place to visit. Yeah, it is certainly certainly is highly recommended if anyone wants to go to uh, uh, Europe and Saint Nicholas, beautiful little place. There you go, great. So, how was the tournament itself? And and you said you met, you met a few ping skillers. Yeah, it was it was great. Um, just met uh, yeah quite a few ping ping skillers from all over the world. Um, a few from Belgium, obviously, but uh, the UK, um, Wales, um, in particular, um, Kazakhstan, Russia. Yeah, so all over the place. It's great, fantastic. And um, we actually have a few pictures up on our blog, Alo. So I'll put a link to that blog in the show notes. So. People can check out a couple of pictures, just a couple, if if they're interested. All right. Now, Alois, people have been wanting this segment always, so we better just give it to them near the top of the show. What happened on this day? Yes, indeed. So uh, this is what everyone waits for. 1960 it was, Jeffrey, and uh, JFK, the youngest um, elected president of the US, was elected today. In 1960, that's a long, long time ago. Oh, it certainly is. There you go, youngest president ever elected. Is that still? Does that still hold? I that's guess a good so. question. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> lovely. People will love that. Now, Alois, on the weekend in competition, I said a new PB of just under 30 seconds to solve the Rubik's cube. So I was pretty happy with that. It's still pretty slow, though, compared to all the young kids that just and solve it. And, you know, the fastest, I think, was just over six seconds yesterday. And uh, so I've got a long way to go still. But, you know, PB, so happy with that. Yeah, and um, and under 30 seconds for the first time in competition, Jeff. So you've done it under 30 seconds before, right? I have, yes. I so, have. so we often get this question um, come up, you know, like, in, in practice and in training, I can do it, you know, under 30 seconds. And in competition, I can never do it under 30 seconds. You're finally broken through. What was what was the difference, Jeffrey? Um, to be honest, I think just more practice. <laughs> um, because, like, you can solve a lot of the time and then only a small percentage of the time was I like, getting under 30 seconds. So... You, you really just need to get better so that you get closer to that so you give yourself an opportunity. I mean, you can practice thousands of solves, but then in the competition you only get five solves. So you really do, you know, need to just get better. So And I think in table tennis, Alice, that helps as well. The better you get, obviously, the better you're going to perform in practice. I know it sounds obvious, but sometimes people think 
that I think people think they're maybe at a slightly higher level than they might be. But when you're in competition and the ball's not coming where it's meant to, and in cubing when you get a new scramble you're not used to, it's just you need to be able to handle that. And the more you've practiced, the better you're going to be able to deal with that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's always going to be that little bit of tension too, isn't there? Like, you know, because in competition, you're a little bit more excited. And um, and so there's going to be that tension involved, which is good, which which will actually help you later on to uh, to increase your performance. But yeah, it's just dealing with all those new factors too, isn't it? Just, um, yeah, as you say, the new the new scramble, yeah, something you've never seen before. Um, in table tennis, it's dealing with a new shot, you know, playing against a different person or just playing in a different different hall, different venue, um, all those sorts of things. So, and as I think you made a really good point there, Jeff, you know, like we sort of expect to play at the top of our uh, form all the time, especially in tournaments. We expect that, you know, this is what we can do all the time. But if our range is here, well, I mean, most of the time we're going to be playing in the middle of that range not at the top and at the tournament I suppose we put more pressure on ourselves to play at the top level all the time but in training sometimes we play here but sometimes we also play here just in a competition we worry about it more and and there's results on the board isn't there so so if this result doesn't come then we start to stress. So, yeah, just expect that, you know, if this is your range, this is your range. And you've got to just move that range up higher, as Jeff said, with practice, and then uh, the results will will get better as well. Exactly. And I think that expectation can make you a bit nervous. And I know this has happened for me too at these cubing comps, Alloys, because I've wanted to do up here. But, you know, realistically, like you said, I'm probably going to do in the middle. And, you know, I have been getting nervous at these competitions and I've sort of been trying to work on that and I'm getting a little better. But, yeah, so when I went there yesterday, one of the kids said to me, oh, I've seen you before. He goes, do you get nervous? Because I see your hands shaking when you're trying to solve the cue. So, you know, it affects everyone, uh, just things you got to deal with. Yeah, that's interesting, huh? Yeah, so yeah, uh, an, an, an Olympian um, in a cubing competition gets nervous. So, you know, guys, if you're out there and getting nervous, don't worry. Exactly. Just try and enjoy it and keep practicing. Get better. Lift that lift that range up and, you know, things will start to happen. All right, Alois. Um, the last Pink Seals question of the day we had was, is serving too big a factor in table tennis and should the serving rules be changed to make it easier for receivers? Yeah, we got that. Yep. Yeah, we got We've got a lot of responses, Jeff. I mean, serving serving always uh, tends to uh, uh, get get uh, get some good responses. So um, yeah, so Benjamin was very very uh, adamant. No, service serving is one of the great arts in table tennis, and one of the big factors that separates it from any other sport. Service and receive is amazing, and one of the things I like most in table tennis. The rules are perfect as they are right now. There you go, satisfied customer. Um, on the other hand, there's um, you know there's uh, a few other um, people that have uh, said you know Mark Taylor said uh, are there serving rules weren't they changed recently to make it easier for receivers oh that's right no one enforces the current rules so servers can do what you want anyway a little bit uh, of truth in that uh, too Mark um, and um, and Philip Boyle, yeah, one of our uh, one of our dear friends um, and a deep thinker said, <laughs> "I heard a deep thinker once suggest forcing serves to one side of the table, a la doubles, 
and that was a theory that uh, that Phil's put up uh, to us, and we've discussed a bit before as well. So, um, certainly, certainly worth exploring still, Phil. We'll have to, we'll have to try and get this name cha- this rule changed, and we will here on uh, refer to it as the Philip Boyle service rule. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Now, what are your thoughts on this, Alloys? Um, yeah, I, I do. I do think um, they do need to be changed in some way um, because I, th- I think just to make the the rule a bit simpler. That's all, um, and and then. I think it will just uh, balance itself out. Um, so I, I, I like serving. I like the serving factor. I like the um, the fact that you can, you know, experiment and do so much with your serves and so much with spin. And as uh, as Benjamin said, it is one of the factors in table tennis that makes it more interesting. But um, the rules need to be enforced or changed so that they can be enforced more easily. Yeah, at the moment, they're just all over the place. and um, And it's just too easy to get away with. Um, with serving and, and get too much of an advantage. Yeah, so the question was, should the rules be changed to make it easier for receivers? But what was it that big a problem beforehand? What if we just made it, you can do whatever you like, and so it actually became harder for receivers? Wouldn't people just get better at returning serves? Um, yeah, maybe, but I think there's a certain level that you can get to, you know, like um, if if you can't see the ball and the players are just throwing the ball into the bat and generating more spin and stuff, I, th- I think you know the rallies will get shorter and and then it's harder for the general public, you know, us sitting up in the stands to actually see what's going on and it just looks um, it just looks really weak. It looks like I mean if Zhangzi Kerr is putting the ball into the bottom of the net. Yeah, I mean, players, people sitting there thinking, you know, what is this? I mean, this guy's, you know, one of the best players ever in the world and he can't even put the ball back on the table. So it's just yeah, hard maybe, to understand. Maybe. I mean, in the early 90s, the late 80s, that you could serve whatever you want and Waldner was serving people off, but people still loved to watch table tennis and thought Waldner was a genius and stuff. So I don't know that someone pushing the ball into the bottom of the net is as big of a problem as people make out. I mean, in tennis, people just serve aces and the guy doesn't even touch the ball. It's still very popular. It is, but I don't like it. I mean, I don't like watching a, a game of aces where, you know, in tennis, I, I think it becomes boring. I like the mm-hmm. I like the rallying. I like the I like the clay quarters too, you know? Okay, interesting. Well, I'm sure there's uh, lots more opinions out there and... Um, We'll see if anything does change with the service rules in the future. All right, that moves us on to the pink seals question of the day, which is, and it's quite a, um, we came up with this because Alloys has just been traveling. So the question is, what is the furthest you have traveled to play table tennis? So jump on our Facebook page or onto our blog at pinkskills.com and let us know what is the furthest you have traveled to play table tennis? All right, Alois. Um, while we've been away, there's been an important tournament on the Women's World Cup. Tell us a bit about this. Yeah, so the Women's World Cup, um, I suppose uh, number one seed, Lucy Wen, uh, took the uh, took the title in the end pretty comfortably. Well, not pretty comfortably, but 4-0 against um, Ishikawa from Japan. So Ishikawa, um, I suppose a... a Surprise finalist, but that came about because um, Zhu Yu Ling lost to um, 
Lee Zhao from the Netherlands, 4-2. And that was in the quarterfinals, I think. So, um, yeah, it was in the quarterfinals. You know, and players like uh, Feng Chen Wei lost to uh, Patricia Solia from Germ- from Germany. Another surprise result. Um, so, yeah, so a few interesting results early on um, in the in the event, but um, but yeah, in the end, Lucy Wen uh, took the title, and and I think it's her oh, maybe fourth World Cup or something ridiculous like that, um, <laughs> and um, and it's also uh, secured her number one position in the world and on the world ranking list as well. So um, so yeah, good uh, good title for Lucy Wen. We saw her go down so um, close in the um, World Championship. Um, final to Ding Ning um, after that controversial last set with Ding Ning getting uh, injured and then coming back and winning. So, so Lucy Wen uh, getting her own back now and uh, and winning that World Cup again. There you go, excellent, excellent. And um, I, I guess the World Cup, another big event for table tennis. Good to see, gets a lot of publicity. Yeah, it is. It's um another another feature event that they've really worked on um, over the last. Uh, few years to, to try and increase the profile of it and it's, it's a good showcase event I suppose with just just a handful of players playing and um, and just the top quality players playing in the real creme de la creme so, um, so yeah it's something that they can showcase um, for publicity purposes and um, and as a showcase event for table tennis yes indeed now, Ilya has jumped on and asked a question live on the show. So thanks, Ilya. He says, something really related to table tennis with a smile. He says, Jeff, when you lose to kids in Ruby's Cube competition, how do you feel? Um, good question. I don't feel too bad. I guess it's a bit different in cubing because you sit down and do your solve and in some ways, even though you are competing with other people, you're just concentrating on your own solve so it's not really like you're going up head to head like you are in table tennis so I don't feel too bad about it to be honest and I just you know the kids are amazing they're super fast um you know they're just going to beat me (laughs) I just kind of accept it but yeah in table tennis when you're going head to head I don't know that's a different feeling I think I probably think I feel worse if I lose to someone in table tennis than at a Rubik's Cube competition yeah Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because it, it is like that in table tennis, isn't it? You've got your opponent actually sitting there and facing you or standing there and facing you. Um, maybe in in uh, the cubing competition, if you had that little kid um, sitting at a table um, opposite you, facing you, and, and it was you and him or her going head to head, maybe it, it would feel different. Maybe it would feel different. But the other thing is in table tennis – they can affect my game. So they actually do things to make it harder for me. So they're actually trying to make me play worse in table tennis. In a Rubik's Cube competition, they're not. I mean, maybe if they were standing there heckling me like you've done when I've done it at your house, Alois. (laughs) Come on now, Felix would have been finished by now. Maybe (laughs) then I'd feel a bit, but yeah, it doesn't really happen like that. But yeah, table tennis, it certainly is a bit of a head-to-head. And I don't know... you should really just try and concentrate on your own game and and just do your own thing. But it certainly is harder in table tennis to to act like that. Yeah, we often we often give players advice um, along those lines, though, don't we? When when players talk to us about not being able to perform well in tournaments, I think that's one really important thing. It's about 
making it a little bit more internal and just focusing on uh, yourself playing better. If you can focus on yourself playing better, then um, then the level will lift. If if it if you're thinking about beating the other person and the results, and um, then I think you'd start to get tied up with that, and then you're not really focused on on the on the game and improving the game itself. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, good tips there, Alice. All right, thanks for the question, Ilya. Um, a quick one from Aussie. He says, "Do you guys sell table tennis tables?" Oh uh, yeah, we do, but um, only in Australia because shipping, like you know, like if I've got to, um, if I've got to cart a table tennis table all the way across the waters, it becomes a bit difficult for me. They're quite heavy. <laughs> they, they are pretty heavy. That is for sure. Um, yeah. So I mean, if you are in Australia, and then just jump on our website, and you'll see tables, and you can send us an email. All right, let's get on to some. Questions, some more questions, Alois. Utkash has said, I generally rely on my peripheral vision during a rally. I lose many points because I'm not good at keeping a track on the ball. I tried watching the ball all the way to my bat, but when I can't concentrate on placement and watching the opponent's position. So do you have some advice here for Utkash? Yeah, it's, um, initially it becomes really difficult to, to do. Um, so we often talk about, you know, looking at the ball and watching the ball and all that sort of stuff and tracking the ball. Um, when you actually start to do it and start to actually watch the ball rather than just looking at um, a big picture, it can be quite disorienting for, to start off with because you sort of hear and you, you start, start to feel like you lose a bit of focus on what's happening there. But you'll start to feel that you you will start to be able to track the ball and be able to um, see what's happening per- peripherally as well. Um, it's something that um, you just have to get used to and it won't happen with one attempt at it. Um, in fact, it'll feel worse, as, as uh, Utkash has said. It'll feel like you're um, a bit disoriented and it's hard to watch what the other person's doing, et cetera, et cetera. But by practising more, by tracking the ball more, it'll all start to become a little bit more natural. You'll see the ball better. You'll also see what's going on um, around you and you'll be able to uh, react uh, a lot faster as well. So um, as Jeff said at the, at the head of the show, it is one of our um, little hobby horses or pets, but uh, yeah, watching the ball is absolutely crucial. Do it. Practice yeah, it. and that's, that's one of the things you teach people right from the start, I guess, Alois, is it? It is, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, we, we focus first on the strokes and getting the feel of that stroke right. But then, yes, definitely watching the ball, especially when you start to do some random um, drills um, where you don't know where the ball's coming, then it's really important to start to tune in and, and watch that ball carefully. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Excellent. Now, next up is another question from Ilya. This time it was one he asked on our Ask the Coach page of the Ping Seals website a while back, and it is a good question. He says, I noticed that the short push is almost useless or even detrimental because for the short push to be effective, it has to be tight, otherwise it gives an opportunity for a lights-out attack. And to make it tight, one has to read the spin 100% correctly. What are your thoughts on this, Alois? Yeah, so earlier in the in the question, was talking a lot about um, at his level. So 
um, not at the at the very highest level of of the game. Um, and to a, to a certain extent, it, it it is completely right, Elia. It's it's quite difficult to get that short push um, correct, and especially at um, a local level or a club level. But it's certainly something that you need to keep working on and keep thinking about heading towards. If you can start to improve that short push, um, you'll be surprised how quickly the game and the or the or the look of the game changes. And it doesn't have to be perfect. Um, like we talk about, you know, getting it short and getting it low. It doesn't have to be perfect. The, the more important thing is just keeping that ball nice and low um, to start off with. If you can keep that ball nice and low, start to soften your hand a bit, you'll find you'll get to, you'll get to improve that skill pretty quickly. It, I, I think it's just something that we don't focus a lot on and we don't practice a lot. Um, because this and this is more exciting and more entertaining um, and pleasing, I suppose, to to play you know, the open game, the topspin to topspin type game. But the push um, is really, a, it can be really effective. Um, having said that, so if you are really struggling with it, though, if you are struggling with a short push in a game situation, don't be afraid to just push that ball along. Um, if, you, if you're in a game situation... Uh, if you're finding that you're pushing the ball, the ball's going too high, the other person's attacking, change it. Um, start to push long. Start to roll the ball. Start to flick the ball, and just um, uh, give give your or, or don't allow your opponent to make those lights out um, attacks. Yeah, yeah, it's a really interesting question, Alice, because at when people are first starting out. A lot of people don't even serve short, so you don't get a lot of opportunities to to push a return short. Um, yeah, but I think, like you said, it doesn't have to be perfect. Obviously, if you misread the spin totally and it goes up really high, that's not going to be great. But if it's just, even if it's a, just a tiny bit higher than normal and it's shorter, your opponent has to react to that. So they've got to get in, move in fast. So I think that variation is still good. And definitely, like you said, Alois, as you get better and better, players are going to be serving short more. They're going to be looking to attack. And so it is important to develop that short push. So I think, Ilya, you've got to keep working on it. And like you said, Alois, once you get a good short push, it does really change the way you think about the game. Yeah, that's right. And I suppose we we sort of are always looking at... um, the end goal um, with your skills. So not necessarily thinking about you being a club level player all the time, you know, like just increasing that level, keep on keeping on heading towards um, uh, perfection. Indeed. Indeed. Good journey. Uh, All right. Someone's just jumped on B Wilson 808 and asked another question, Alloy. So we'll take this one. He says, as a beginning player, I'm still trying to develop my strokes. Would you consider it more important to slowly progress in multiple strokes at once or direct all attention to learning one specific stroke at a time? Yeah, um, good. So I I think um, it would get a bit boring if you just focused on the one stroke. Um, I think you can start to think about a range of strokes. So first up, you can start to think about um, your control counter-hitting strokes, so backhand, forehand, and then you can think about um, the switching between those. Then you can start to think about um, either the push strokes or the top spin strokes. So so um, I wouldn't just focus on the forehand counter-hit um, or the backhand counter-hit for, you know, five weeks. I'd 
um, broaden that out a little bit, just uh, get a little bit more variety into your practice. I think it'll just keep you interested longer as well. Um, you know, if, you, if you're trying to do a one-hour session or a one-and-a-half-hour session of just forehands, yeah, it'll get boring. So, yeah, broaden out a little bit, um, get a few different strokes under your belt and just keep changing between, uh, between all of the strokes that you're learning. Excellent. Great question. Thank you, B. Wilson, 808. And, Alois, that wraps up episode 182 of the Ask the Coach show. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Make sure you go to pingskills.com and sign up for a free account. Then you can watch all of our strokes and techniques videos and get our famous weekly email. Thanks again, everyone, and thank you, Alois. Thanks, Jeffrey, and uh, we'll see you back here on Thursday morning. We will indeed. So see you back Thursday. See you, everyone. Bye.